brought to you by Charity Mobile, the phone company that shares your values. More information is available at CharityMobile.com. Today I have for you something from Pope Innocent III as we continue to work slowly through his writing, his more famous writings. It's his address to the Fourth Lateran Council. This was issued at a time when the church was in need of reform because the clergy was rife with immorality, the world as a consequence, was rife with immorality and faithlessness, and the enemies of the church were literally on the march at the time. Pius, or Innocent III here addresses all of that and begins of what true reform in the church looks like, what it needs, and what the effect of sin is among the clergy for the laity. It is something we need to really consider in our times. So without further ado... Pope Innocent III's letter on the convening of the Fourth General Council of the Lateran, or Lateran IV. I have desired with longing to eat this pasch with you before I suffer, that is, before I die. Since for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, I do not refuse, if it is ordained by God, to drink the chalice of suffering, whether it will be given to me to drink for the defense of the Catholic faith, or for the aid of the Holy Land, or for the welfare of ecclesiastical liberty. Although I desire to remain in the flesh until the work I have undertaken is finished, nevertheless not mine but the will of God be done. And so I have said to you, I have desired with longing to eat this pass with you before I suffer. The desires of mankind are many and varied. Can anyone explain them? But all of them can be reduced to these two, clearly the spiritual and the carnal, the spiritual which are concerned with celestial and eternal things, and the carnal, concerned with temporal and earthly things. Of the first, the prophet says in a psalm, My soul is ravished with desire for your judgment always. And the bride says in the song, I sat under the shadow of the one I desired, and his fruit was sweet on my tongue. The Apostle Peter says of the second, Flee the desires of the flesh which war against the spirit. And another, Remove the desire for evil far away from me. I, however, call upon his testimony, who is the steadfast witness in heaven, that I have desired with longing to eat this pasch with you, not with carnal, but with spiritual desire, not for earthly profit or temporal glory, but for the reformation of the universal church, and especially for the liberation of the Holy Land. It is chiefly and principally for this, these un, two undertakings that I have convened this sacred council. But perhaps you will say, what is this pasch that you desire to eat with us? For pasch is interpreted in different ways in divine scripture, as a day whence. Now the feast day of unleavened bread, which is called the pasch, has drawn nigh, as an hour whence. The fourteenth day toward evening is the pasch of the Lord, as a lamb whence. The day of the unleavened bread came, on which the pasch must be sacrificed. An unleavened bread, whence. They did not go into the praetorium so they would not be contaminated, but could eat the pasch. As a festival, whence. Before the feast of the pasch, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he might pass from this world to the Father, and even for Christ himself, whence. Christ our pasch is sacrificed. Indeed, pasch in Hebrew is phase, which is passing over, and in Greek, in paskain, which is to suffer, because it is through suffering we must pass over to glory, as truth himself said. It was necessary for the Christ to suffer so as to enter into his glory. 
For that reason, if we wish to co-reign with him, it is necessary that we also co-suffer with him. Although the sufferings of this time are not wholly worthy of the future glory, they'll be revealed in us. This pasch which is the passe, that is, passing over, I have desired with longing to eat with you. Of this it is said in Exodus, They shall eat hastily, for it is the passe, that is, the passing over of the Lord. It is clearly written in the book of Kings and very clearly confirmed in Paralopemanon in Chronicles that in the 18th year of the reign of King Hosiah, the temple was restored and the fasse was celebrated in such a way as it had not been done in Israel since the days of the judges and kings. Let this history of past events be a parable for today's urgent time, so that in this, the 18th year of our pontificate, the temple of the Lord, which is the church, may be restored and fasse or pasch, that is, the solemn council, be celebrated. Through this pasch may there occur among the Christian people, who see God through faith, a true passing over from vices to virtue, in such a way as in truth has not occurred in Israel since the days of the judges and kings, that is, from the times of the Holy Fathers and of the Catholic princes. And I confidently hope in him who makes a promise to a faithful one, saying, Wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. He himself is present here to celebrate this Pasch among us who have gathered in this Basilica of the Savior, in the name of the Savior, for those things that pertain to salvation. Even more, there is a triple Pasch, or Fasse, I, dare, I desire to celebrate with you, physical, spiritual, eternal. Physical, so there may be a passing over to a place, to liberate pitiable Jerusalem. Spiritual, so there may be passing over from one condition to another and to reform the universal church, eternal so there may be a passing over from earthly life to eternal life, so as to obtain a celestial glory. In the Lamentations of Jeremiah, Jerusalem pitiably cries out to us for the physical Passover, quoting, O all you who pass along the way, listen and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow. Then pass over to me, all you who love me, so you can free me from my great misery. For I, who used to be the mistress of nations, have been now made a servant. I, who used to be crowded with people, now sit as if I were alone. The streets of Sion mourn, because there is no one who comes to the solemn feast. Her enemies have become her lords. The holy places are all profaned, and the sepulcher of the Lord, which used to be revered, is now defiled where Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, was adored. The leader of the of the neighboring, we'll say, sect to our elder brothers, the son of perdition, is now worshipped. The alien's sons insult me, and they taunt the wood of the cross, saying, You trusted in the wood, now let us see if you, it can help you. Oh, what shame, what chaos, what ignominy, that, that the sons of the servant woman, the unworthy Agarenes, now hold our mother in servitude, the mother of all the faithful, of whom the psalmist surely speaks. Mother Sion, he says, everyone is born in her, and the Most High himself has founded her. It is there that God our King before all the ages chose to accomplish our salvation in the midst of the world. So what are we to do? Behold, beloved brothers, I wholly commit myself to you. I make myself totally accessible to you. In compliance with your conciliar decision, if you think it expedient, I am prepared personally to undertake this work. I will pass over to kings and princes and peoples and nations, and indeed even beyond, to arouse them with a mighty cry. So they will rise up to fight the fight of the Lord and redress the injury of the crucified one. Because of our sins he was cast out of his land, and from his throne which he had purchased with his blood, and in which he consummated the whole mystery of our redemption. Regardless of what others may do, we the priests of the Lord must especially take up this task, aiding and supporting with personnel and goods the needs of the Holy Land. 
No one at all should be left who does not participate in such a great work, lest he be deprived of such a great reward. In the past, in a similar case, God achieved liberation in Israel through priests. When, through the Maccabees, unquestionably priests, the sons of Matthias, had he freed Jerusalem and the temple from ungodly hands. Now as to the spiritual Passover, the Lord said, to the man dressed in linen who had the ink horn of a scribe at his loins, pass through the center of the city and mark tau on the foreheads of the men who sigh and mourn over all the abominations being committed within it. Then he said to the six men who had the weapons of destruction in their hands, pass through the city following him and pierce through and through all on whom you do not find the tau. Let your eyes spare no one and begin at my sanctuary. The man dressed in linen who had the ink horn of a scribe at his loins should be the preacher. A man robust in virtue like the man of whom the scripture says, There was a man in the land of Uz named Job. This man was blameless and upright, fearing God and shunning evil. Dressed in linen, that is, dressed with honest habits and good works, as is said in another place, Always see that your garments are dazzling white. That is, let your works be pure. For the linen from which the priestly vestments were made, according to the law, designates cleanliness and honesty, because of the radiance to which it is brought by the maceration of the flesh and by contrition. The scribe, preeminent and supreme, is the Holy Spirit, the finger of God, who wrote the tablets of the Testament. Of him the psalmist says, My tongue is the pen of a scribe, writing swiftly. The ink born of this doctrine is the gift of knowledge from which the ink of doctrine is brought forth by the pen of the tongue to be written on the parchment of the heart. The loins are the center of our desires. So the Lord commands, Gird your loins, and the psalmist, praying to the Lord, Purge my loins and my heart. This all means that he who has the ink horn of a scribe is the one who, by the gift of knowledge given him by the Holy Spirit, restrains and moderates the desires of the flesh in himself, so that his way of life is not discordant with his teaching, lest it will be said to him, Physician, heal thyself. You who preach that men must not steal, steal. You who teach that men should not commit adultery, commit adultery. So truth says, let your loins be girded up and your lamps burning in your hands. This man is ordered to pass through the center of the city and mark tau on the foreheads of the men who sigh and mourn. T is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, representing the shape of the cross. It was so constituted before Pilate set the inscription above the crucified Lord. And also while the blood of the lamb smeared on every doorstep and also on the lintels of the houses mysteriously signified, whoever by his actions reflects the righteousness of the cross bears this sign on his forehead, just as the apostle says. Let him crucify his flesh with, his, with its vices and desires. And thereby let him say with the apostle, Far be it from me to glory, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world is crucified to me, and I to the world. Such men are certainly sigh and mourn over all the abominations that are committed within the city, the sins of their neighbors or the frying pans for searing the just. Who says the apostle is weak and I am not weakened? Who is scandalized and I do not burn? Just as the man dressed in linen, who had the inkhorn of a scribe at his loins, should pass through the center of the city and mark tau on the foreheads of the men who sigh and mourn over all the abominations that are committed within it, so the high priest, who has been constituted watchman over the house of Israel, should pass through the whole church, which is the city of the great king, to the city set on a mountain, investigating and inquiring the merits of individuals to see whether they are saying that good is evil or evil good, lest they are judging darkness to be light or like darkness." lest they are killing souls that are not dying or giving life to souls that should not live. It is so that he can distinguish and discern between the one and the other, that he should mark tau on the foreheads of the men who mourn. It is to show the ones who sigh and mourn over the abominations that are committed within, the church that he marks tau on their foreheads, 
They are the ones who truly sigh for the crimes and mourn for the disgrace over the abominations that are committed within the city, because the abomination has already advanced so far that the disgrace is a crime and the crime is a disgrace. So if we resolutely dig through the wall, as the prophet was, has commanded to do, we will see worse abominations, and even the worst abominations which have been committed even within the temple. The six men, every single one, having the weapons of destruction in his hand, should be you men of virtue. There are six because of the mystery of that number, so that you will be perfect in word and work, for six is the perfect number, because its sum is drawn from its non-fractional parts. So on the sixth day God completed the creation of heaven and earth and all their beauties. And when in the fullness of time he came into the world, it was in the sixth age, on the sixth day, at the sixth hour, that he redeemed the human race, even as he spoke his six last words from the cross. The weapon of destruction that you should hold in your hands for punishing the wicked is pontifical authority, which you should wield in your work of vanquishing evildoers. For example, the psalmist says, In the morning I killed all the sinners in the land, so that I may cut off all the workers of iniquity from the city of the Lord. It is said elsewhere of these weapons, He has bent his bow and readied it, in his hand armed the weapons of death. He has made his arrows into burning spears. It is therefore commanded you, pass over through the center of city, following him. That is the high priest as a leader, a prince and a teacher, so that you pierce to whatever degree the fault will be required, by interdicting and disbarring, by excommunicating and deposing, all on whom you do not find the towel marked by him who closes and no one opens, who opens and no one closes. Those marked with the tower are not to be harmed, just as it is said elsewhere. Do not harm the earth, nor the sea, nor the fish trees, until we mark the servants of God on our foreheads. As to the others, however, it is said, Let your eye spare no one, so that there will be no partiality toward any person among you. Remember what Moses is recorded as having spoken to the sons of Levi. If any man is the Lord's, let him be joined to me. Let every man put his sword upon his thigh, go out back and forth from gate to gate through the middle of the camp, and every man shall slay his brother and his friend and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi carried out the command of Moses. May you henceforth similarly carry it out, so strike that you heal, slay that you may give life, by the example of him who said, I will kill and I will give life, I will strike and I will heal. And he said, At my sanctuary begin. Indeed, it is time, as the blessed apostle said, for judgment to begin at the house of the Lord. For all corruption in the people comes first from the clergy, because if the priest who is anointed sins, he makes the people guilty. It is certain that when the laity see the clergy sinning shamelessly and outrageously, they will also fall into sins and ungodliness because of the clergy's example. And when they are approved by anyone, they immediately make excuses for themselves, saying, The son can do only what he has seen the father doing and it is enough for the disciple if he is like his master. So this prophecy is fulfilled. The people will be just like the priest. Indeed, now the sea says, Blush with shame, O Sidon, for this is where evils have come into the Christian people. Faith decays, religion grows, deformed, liberty is thwarted, justice is trampled underfoot, heretics emerge, schismatics grow haughty, the faithless rage, the Agarines conquer. As to the everlasting Passover, the Lord says, Blessed are those servants whom, when the Lord comes, he shall find watching. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself and make them sit down to eat, and passing among them, he will serve them. About this passing over, the martyrs rightfully rejoice, saying in the psalm, We have passed over through the fire and water, and you have led us into a place of refreshment. This pasch above all I desire to eat with you in the kingdom of God. This eating may be physical or spiritual. Of the one it is said, give them something to eat, of the other, slay and eat. There is also an eating that is sin and an eating that is punishment. 
Of the first, it is said, they ate the sacrifices of the dead. Of the other, my sword shall eat flesh. There is also the eating that is doctrine and the eating that is penitence. Of the first, it is said, I have food to eat that you do not know. Of the other, they ate ashes like bread. Moreover, there is the eating of the Eucharist, and the eating that is eternal glory. Of the Eucharist, it is said, He that eats me shall live because of me. In eternal glory, it is written, Blessed is he who will eat the bread in the kingdom of God. It is especially in this final eating that I long with desire to eat this Pasch with you so that we may pass from labor to rest, from sorrow to joy, from unhappiness to glory, from death to life, from corruption to eternity. Our Lord Jesus Christ granting it, to whom is honor and glory forever. Amen. And that was the letter that opened the Fourth Lateran Council. A time of reform in the church. And a time where the church was standing up to evils in the world. And the two were linked. If we wish to see the world improved, we must seek sanctity and, re and reform our lives ourselves. How often do we hear that anymore? How often are we reminded of the, what the wages of sin are? Innocent III reminded people of what the wages of sin were here. And we hear nothing of that today, or so it seems. Let me know what you thought of this in the comments, please. Like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.